Well, it's a privilege, isn't it, to open God's Word? Psalm chapter 19 again this week. We're going to look at that together as we consider um, learn what it means to learn a new language together. And, and for many of us, it may not necessarily be that we're learning a new language as much as we are learning it more deeply and learning how to use it. And so this idea of learning a new language and the the verse of the year that we have this year helps us to think about that, and, and it comes from Psalm 19, verse 14, and it's this verse, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we began to look at that together last week, and we looked at this graphic that, that Gene came up with, and it's just amazing to stop and think of in the incredible expanse of the universe that that we are the ones who have been created by God to, to be in relationship with Him and, and to be able to have the words of our mouth declare that glory. In the next couple of weeks in quiet waters, we're going to step into the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and in the first chapter, he says, what a, what a great burden God has placed on man. And, and the truth is that that, that burden that God has placed on man is this burden of the fact that, that we can reason. We're created in the image of God, and we can reason, and we can, we, we, we're designed to be in relationship with Him, and it's such a great burden for us because apart from Him, all we try to do is fill that in in different ways. But when we come to know Him, we're able to have the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth be pleasing to Him. Last week, we, we looked at the first part of the psalm, and we looked at this incredible creation as the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands, and how day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display His knowledge. And, and we took a look at God, and then the name El, and, and, and how that refers to the majestic, holy, mighty God. And then the second section of that psalm is, as, as uh, David talks about the Lord and the commands of the Lord and the law of the Lord, and we looked at how that is God who then steps into our life as Jehovah, and, 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 and rather than just being transcendent and someone we cannot know and cannot, and cannot be known, rather he has revealed himself to us, and that the law is actually his instructions for us are pointing us to him. And so that, that we looked at how our words could be pleasing to God. And I, I mentioned as, as I Googled the question, you know, how long does it take to learn a new language? And we looked at 10,000 hours. And so I'm confident that all of you who were last week spent the last 168 hours incredibly invested in this, right? Not so much. Okay. So this week I thought... I should Google another question because it used to be that if a question came to your mind, Jim, you would just ponder it, right? But now you type it in and the answer comes up. And so the question that I typed in for Mr. Google to answer was this, what does the average person think about all day? Yeah? <laughs> you know how many hits came up on that? So... I came up with one that I'd like to share with you. Several years ago, this is Charlie Greer in a most unusual article. I'll not read the whole thing. Several years ago, the National Science Foundation put out some very interesting statistics. 
we think 1,000 thoughts per hour. Now, in and of itself, that statement's interesting. I don't know if you're like I am. I'm a, I'm a very literal person, okay? So as soon as I read that, we think 1,000 thoughts per hour. I'm wondering, how did they learn that? You know, is it like, like there was a room and someone was sitting there and he says, okay, I got a thought, and they put a stick man down? You know, I don't know. Anyway, okay. See, that's what I think about. I, you know, maybe I don't know. When we write, we think 2,500 thoughts in an hour and a half. The average person thinks about 12,000 thoughts per day. A deep thinker, according to this report, puts forth 50,000 thoughts a day. So, between 12,000 and 50,000 thoughts a day that, that people have. You didn't realize you were thinking that much, did you? So he goes on to make all sorts of observations which are not pertinent to our conversation. <laughs> because he's talking about positive thoughts and negative thoughts and, and how you take, take these thoughts and make them positive or negative. And you see, as we look at this and we look at the, the truth of this verse, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, we're going to focus on that phrase a little bit today, that, that the meditation of my heart can be pleasing. Paul says in Romans 8.8, 8, that the sinful man cannot please God. See, the, the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart, those are unable to please God unless I've entered into a relationship with him. Unless... I have experienced the saving touch of God. The thoughts of my heart are not able to please him, but once I have, then I have the option of having those thoughts please the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. This week, our big idea is this, that the meditation of my heart can please God. Let's say that together. The meditation of my heart can please God. So how does that happen? Well, our text here, um, well, before we go into that, I want to look at, at Luke chapter 6. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is speaking, and he talks about the tree and his fruit. Perhaps you remember that, where, where he says, no, no um, a tree bears fruit according to, to what it is. Um, people do not, uh, I'm in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So if we're looking at the truth that we want the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be pleasing, it's the meditation of our heart that forms the words of our mouth, Jesus is saying. So what does that look like? And I think the psalmist in Psalm 19 gives us a glimpse into that. And the first point we see is that the meditation of my heart is impacted by my choice of input and the actions that follow. So the meditation of my heart is impacted by my choice of input. And you'll remember last week we looked at the the law of the Lord. 
as reviving the soul and the statutes of the Lord as being trustworthy and, and, and making wise the simple and then the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. And we looked at all of these things and, and that the psalmist said that they were more precious than gold, than much pure gold, that they were sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And then he says this in verse 11, he says, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so that's where we get this first point, that the meditation is my, of my heart is, is impacted by my choice of input. That, that if, I, if I look at these ordinances, if I look at the law, the instruction, the direction, the pointing of the Lord, as his servant, I'm warned. So there was a song we used to sing as a kid. Input, output, what goes in must come out. Anybody remember that? Three of us. Okay, let's all sing it together. No, um, but input, output, daily you must choose. And so there's this idea of choosing what the input will be into your life. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I had an opportunity to meet with someone this, this last week in my office and they said, how is it that you have so much scripture memorized? I said, it's because I have so much sin. You understand? See, the, the word of God hidden in our heart allows us to stand against sin. It's, it's as I take the word of God and I own it and as I, as I place it into my heart that I'm able to, to stand against sin. How do I know that's true? Because scripture says so. It says I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So passages like Romans 6 where it says do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but rather offer the parts of your body to God Instruments of righteousness. See, and so when in my life I get tempted to do something with my hands or with my eyes or with my mouth or with my mind, with my feet, when I'm tempted to do something that, that would give the parts of my body to sin, I say, no, I don't want the parts of my body being used by wickedness. And it stops me, you see? illustration that I keep in my mind and I've used before, but it's good for us to be reminded. Imagine that I had a big clear beaker up here full of boiling water, crystal clear boiling water, and I take a tea bag and I, and I drop the tea bag in and pull it out. Dick, if I do that, there's going to be a little spot of dark water in there, but pretty much the rest of the water is going to be the way it is. That's what it's like to hear the word of God. When you hear the word of God, it, it changes a little bit, but for the most part, things stay the same. I suppose that same beaker, and, and now I take the tea bag, and I, I put it in there, and I spin it around and pull it out. Okay, now that, that tea that's in there has had a chance to have a little bit more of an influence on the water, and there's some change beginning to happen. 
when I read the Word of God, as I read the Word of God and it, and it begins to, to make a bigger change in my life. And now imagine that I take that tea bag and I put it in and I move it all around and then I pull it out. There's still going to be some areas of clear water in there, but it's starting to infiltrate. It's starting to change the total water. That's studying the Word of God. Hearing, reading, studying. Now suppose I take that tea bag and I put it into the water and hang the string over the edge and I just let, I just let the bag sit in there and steep. That's memorizing. You see, that's what happens when you memorize. You just leave the tea bag in there and that tea bag just sits in there and it just continues to impact all the water that's in that beaker. There's one more step. Maybe you've seen, maybe you're a tea drinker. Todd, I don't drink tea. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I've seen people do this. They, they take the tea bag and they put it on the spoon and they wrap the string around it. And that string's made out of some high tensile steel or something because they take a hold of that and they squeeze it. And they get every drop of tea out of that that they can and they let everything possible that's in there get into the water so that, so that the water's no longer water anymore. It's been changed. It's been transformed. It's now, it's now tea. It's been every possible bit of it has been impacted. That's meditation. See, and they, they build on each other. I hear the word of God. I read the word of God. I study the word of God. I memorize the word of God, which allows me to meditate on the word of God. And as I meditate on the word of God, soon I'm not reading scripture. Scripture's reading me. You see, and that's when, that's when the meditation of our heart begins to change. That's when, that's when, all of a sudden, the meditation of our heart begins to be pleasing to God. Because it's impacted by his word, his direction, and his instruction. So, how is the meditation of my heart impacted by what I choose to input into my life? Now there's some extra credit for you there in your notes, okay? I put in there some verses from Psalm 119, so as you, as you go home throughout the week, take a look at those verses. Each one of them talk about meditating on the word of God. Compare them to Psalm 19 and see what you find. We're looking at this big idea, remember? The meditation of my heart can please God. The second thing we're looking at is that the meditation of my heart is impacted by my standing before God. The meditation of my heart is impacted by my standing before God. How I view myself, how God views me. And it's there in verse 11, by keeping them, or by them is your servant warned. You see, to, to realize and recognize that my, my standing before God is that of a servant. Why would I be any greater than my Savior? My Savior came as a servant. He came to seek and save and to serve. He didn't come to to be served, but to serve, and my role is that of a servant. David goes on to say, who can discern his errors? 
Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Who can discern his errors? For me, I, I added a word. Who can discern his own errors? It's this, it's this idea of how could I possibly know the depth of my sin? And, and for me to come to this place and this realization, it allows me to turn. This idea of hidden faults. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and we, we know John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. But as it goes on, in verse 19 of, of chapter three, it says this, this is the verdict. Light, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their, their deeds were evil. Anyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. As David comes before the Lord in this psalm and he says, forgive my hidden faults. What are the hidden faults in your life? What are those, those things that you need to close the door in order to do? What are the, the things that you need to have darkness in order to participate in those sins? What are, what are the sins that, that must have darkness in order for you to participate in those? What, what do you need to close the door to look at? What do you need to make sure nobody's around in order to focus on? What, what are those things? And then further, what are the things you're not even aware of? Those that are hidden from you because who can discern his errors? What are those? And then David says, forgive me also for my willful sins, or whew, the ones where I absolutely know what I should be doing, but I choose to do what I want to do instead. Willfully disobedient. See, in, the, in these verses, we get a, a glimpse of the heart of David, who understood well what it meant to sin and to ask for forgiveness. Psalm 51 is such a powerful psalm, and I, I encourage you to read it if you don't know it, but he says in there, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, this, this idea of understanding that the meditation of my heart needs to be pleasing to the Lord in order for the words of my mouth to be pleasing to the Lord, it calls for me to understand and know what it means to be in a right, a right standing with God. There are two realms. There's the realm of, of Satan. It's the, the realm of fallen man. It's the realm of sin. It's the realm of disobedience. It's the realm of rebellion. It's the realm that each one of us is born in. It's the realm of Adam. And our standing before God in this realm is that we stand in Adam before God. The sin of Adam has been credited to our encounters, imputed to us. 
And this is the realm that is under the wrath of God, the rightful wrath of God, because the people in this realm are people of rebellion. They are people who have turned away from God, and that's every single person who's ever lived is born into this realm of rebellion. And that's the realm that that Paul says that people in this realm cannot please God. Not possible. There's, There's nothing that we can do to please God. It's hopeless. Apart from God. Because God has a realm. And it's the realm of King Jesus. It's this realm of righteousness. The realm of forgiveness. The realm of redemption. The realm of reconciliation. It's the realm of peace. It's the realm where where God's wrath is averted because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the realm that we were designed to be in. But our sin has caused us to be trapped in this realm the realm of deceit, where we are ruled over by the pretender prince, that dark fallen angel constantly speaks evil into our lives. There's no hope for us. There's no possible way for us to move from this realm to this realm on our own. It's not possible. We're we're too deeply entrenched and the walls are too high. There is no way for us to move from this realm to that realm on our own. And so, Jesus. Jesus came to bridge the chasm between the two realms. And Jesus came to make it possible that we could be rescued from this realm of wrath and, and deceit and rebellion and brought into the realm of the Son whom he loves. Which realm are you in? Which realm are you in? There's nothing you can do to move from that realm to this realm on your own. But there's no prayer that can save you from this realm to this realm, but there is a prayer that opens up the arms of God and makes it possible for him to reach in and rescue because only God can save. Only God can rescue. And it's the prayer that cries out, help. God, I want out of this realm. And it comes as we we ask God to search our hearts Maybe you're here and you've never heard this before. Listen, ask God to search your heart. Ask him to show you the faults that you have. Ask him to show you the areas of your life that have you in rebellion. Ask him to show you those things. And when he shows them to you, then what what Scripture calls for is repentance. Wash away all my sin. It's that repentance. And that's, that's like an army that's headed this way. And they hear the command about face and they do this and they walk this way. It's a complete turning. It's a turning from your sin. And that repentance then cries out in a prayer that says, God, I realize, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize I've been in rebellion to you. I realize I'm in the realm that is deserving of your wrath. I realize that your son Jesus came to die on the cross. And I realize that the offer is made. Would you please forgive me? 
Would you rescue me from this realm of despair and bring me into the realm of life? Would you rescue me from the realm of death and bring me into the realm of life? And God reaches down and grabs you by his grace and his grace alone and rescues you from the dominion of darkness and brings you into the dominion of light. And no longer do you stand before God in Adam. You now stand before God in Christ. And in Christ alone, you stand before God justified. Just as if you had never sinned, the righteousness of God credited to your account, your sin credited to Christ's account as he died on the cross, and you are rescued and saved from the dominion of death and brought into the dominion of life. And you realize that you have a new standing before God. And the meditation of your heart can become pleasing to God. So where are you? Where are you? Oh, I don't know each one of you. I know a lot of you, but I don't know each one of you. Which realm are you in? A prayer can't save you, but a prayer can open your heart so God can reach down and rescue you. If you have never done that, I urge you, do it. Turn to him. Repent and turn. How are the thoughts, how are my thoughts impacted by the truth of my standing before God? The final thing we see today, as we look at this truth that the meditation of my heart can please God, is this Psalm 19:14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Last week we looked at the redeemer. We just looked at the redeemer piece here, this redemption that's offered by Jesus, but what does it mean that he is the rock? What does that mean? We go back to Luke chapter six, and we read on. If we read on as Jesus talks, he's, he says, for out of the outflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And then he explains what that means. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock, and when the flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. See, have you dug down? Have you, have you dug down and have you, have you rooted yourself strongly in the foundation of Jesus Christ, in the rock of Jesus so that when the storms come, not if, when the storms come, your house will not be shaken. See, if you want the words of your mouth to be pleasing to the Lord, the meditation of your heart needs to be pleasing to the Lord. And as you, as you allow the word of God to pour into your life, as you allow yourself to meditate on it, as you, as you allow yourself to be shaped by it, then when the storm comes, what comes out of your mouth will be pleasing to God. So you'll be, you'll be working, Jeff, and you'll hit your thumb full on with a hammer and you'll go, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> when you were in this realm, you would have said something else. Somebody will cut you off in traffic. And you'll say, amen. 
You won't cut someone off in traffic. You'll get that diagnosis. And you'll say, God, use this for your glory. Someone will come up to you, someone you're in a relationship with, and they'll say something that will hurt you deeply. And the words of your mouth will be, I can see you're hurting. How can God use me to bring healing to you? See, the words of my mouth follow the meditation of my heart. And if we're going to be a group of people who radiate the love of Christ, it has to come out of our mouth. But it comes out of our mouth as we take his word into our heart. Listen, if you've never come to a point where you've met Jesus as your savior, today is the day of repentance. Ask God to draw you to himself. It's the only way you can come to him. But if he has... Hide the word of God in your heart so that you won't sin against him. Find some scriptures, memorize them, learn them. Let them read you. So, is the Lord my rock? And if so, how is the meditation of my heart pleasing to him? And how is my meditation impacting my speech? Amen. The team is coming up. There's a question there. What intentional steps can I take to have the meditation of my heart be pleasing to God? See, that's the, that's the big question here, isn't it? You know, the, the question that we closed with last week, how much pleasure is the Lord deriving from my life? That's, that's really what we're asking, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be pleasing, so how much pleasure, Lord, are you deriving from my life, and, and what are the things I can change so that you derive great pleasure? We're going to close with the same song that we closed with last week because it powerfully puts in our mind the truth of what this is that it's what we're glad to do. It's time. It's time for us to live a life that pleases God. Amen? So stand and sing with us, will you?